If you are new, uh, as Rodney said, we're in this uh, message series called Hope in Exile, where we really are just kind of unpacking and exploring uh, the first letter of Peter. And so for the last four weeks, we've been in this longer section of the letter where Peter is really addressing and focusing on this concept or idea that most of us, if we're honest, really are kind of uncomfortable with, and we just don't really like it, we don't enjoy it, and that's the concept or the idea of submission. And I think as Americans especially, that's just, for whatever reason, it's become kind of like a dirty word for us in our culture because the reality is everything in our culture as Americans, everything kind of in our DNA is about freedom. And it's about independence, and it's about, don't, hey, don't tread on me, and, and, and these, are, these are my rights, and nobody can tell me what to do. And what Peter really is doing in this portion of the letter, that he's, he's really writing back to these suffering Christians, these suffering churches in the Roman Empire, really what he's doing is he's, I think, he's gently kind of pushing back on that way of thinking. And, and the reality is, I think, Peter, what he's doing here is he's contrasting uh, the, the kingdoms of this world with the kingdom of God. And I use this language oftentimes, the upside-down kingdom of Jesus, right? Because his kingdom is this, this kingdom where we win by losing. We, we gain our lives by laying our lives down. We lead by serving. We advance the mission by submitting. It's, it's almost counterintuitive. Everything in God's kingdom is, is upside down. And so Peter is just hammering home this idea of submission as a weapon for good in God's kingdom. And again, it's completely countercultural for us, especially as Americans. And so four weeks ago, Peter started with government and how we as Christians should, should view earthly governments and how we should interact with them and how we should respect them and, and submit to them. And then uh, after that, he moved into kind of the workplace scenario. And Pastor Rodney talked about how uh, we are to submit to, uh, respect, honor our employers for the sake of the gospel. And then last week, we really just began to wade into the uh, arena of marriage. And so last week, we kind of touched on the wives, and today we're going to hit the dudes. We're going to talk uh, to the husbands today. And so if you missed last week on what biblical submission uh, for wives looks like in the context of marriage, let me just encourage you uh, to go back and catch uh, that message. I think last week we were able to kind of dispel some uh, misconceptions, probably some abuses that even the, the, the church has kind of propped up over the, the years and decades. And we really talked about when this is done rightly, it's actually a really beautiful picture of God's grace as we look to Jesus who submitted himself uh, to the will of his father, to an unjust Roman government, to death on the cross, all uh, to redeem people like you and I who didn't deserve it. And so Peter really articulates or encapsulates, I think, this whole idea of Jesus modeling this for us well in, in chapter 2. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago, but I just want to start our time by reading this to you again. You don't have to turn there. This will be on the, on the screen for you. But this is in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in 21. Peter says this, For to this, and he's talking about submission here, For to this, submission, you Christians have been called. He's saying you've been called to submission. Why, Peter? Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Again, he's talking about submission here. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. 
When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. For he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And so church, we have to understand that submission is something that applies to everyone who has ever lived and everybody who is currently alive and everybody who will one day be alive without exception. It's just something that applies to every single person on planet Earth. Now, sure, it looks different for different people. It looks different in marriage, obviously, for husbands and wives. But submission is something that Jesus himself has modeled for us. And so uh, you can no longer, if you claim to love Jesus, if you claim to follow Jesus, you can no longer really just kind of rage against or rail against something that Jesus has actually walked in and modeled for us and has called us into as his disciples. And so we addressed wives in the context of marriage last week. Today will be kind of part two of the marriage talk, and Peter's going to tag the husbands uh, this morning. Now, before we jump in, let me just say really quickly, I know that many of you that are probably tuned in, that are watching this right now, are, are single. And so I, I can remember being uh, young and single and, and coming to church and hearing a sermon about marriage, and you just kind of automatically start to tune out and, and check out, right? You start checking your Instagram account or whatever and pretending like you're on the Bible app. Now, let, me, let me just encourage you, please, please don't do that. If you're single and you're watching this, please, please don't check out. I think this is actually going to be important for you, and here's why. Chances are, if you're single right now and you're watching this, at some point in your life, you're going to be married, all right, so if you're single right now, single ladies particularly, today Peter's gonna tell you what kind of husband you should be looking for. Single dudes watching this, Peter's gonna tell you the kind of men you should be striving to become before you ever dream about getting married to a woman, right? And even if God has called you to singleness, by the way, uh, singleness is, is not a lesser calling, it feels like in our culture, for whatever reason, singleness is almost viewed as uh, incomplete. Like if you're not married, you're just kind of incomplete. That's not the picture that the Bible ever paints. Singleness, the calling of singleness, is not a lesser calling. But if you have been called to singleness, you're still going to need to know how to speak into and encourage your brothers and sisters who happen to be married. So here's the deal. I don't, I don't know if you knew this or not, but mar marriage is the only relationship, human relationship, that God gives us to display his relationship with his people, right? So it's, it's the only relationship God gives us where God goes, listen, you want to know what my love looks like? You want to know how my people are to, to love me back? I want you to look at the marriage between a man who loves me and a woman who loves me. It's the only relationship that he gives us that actually is intended to paint a picture of the gospel. Now, let me show you what I'm talking about. If you have your Bibles at home, let me encourage you to go ahead and go over. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 5, and then we're going to work our way back over to 1 Peter. But we're going to start Ephesians 5. This is the Apostle Paul uh, writing to a group of Christians in a city called Ephesus, and he's going to start in verse 22. All right, this is what Paul says. Wives, submit to your own husbands... As to the Lord, we kind of talked about that, addressed that last week. If you missed it, again, go back, catch that. Why, why, Peter? Why should we do this? Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church 
submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, you know, do you notice what Paul is doing here? He's, he's painting a picture of the gospel. He's saying, husbands, you're, you're supposed to paint the picture of Jesus in marriage, and wives, you're supposed to paint the picture of the people of Jesus in this relationship. It's this incredible mystery. And then verse 25, he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. And in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. And then Paul's gonna go back and and begin to quote uh, Genesis 2. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now Paul says at the end of that passage, that marriage is a, is a mystery. And he goes all the way back to Genesis chapter two, and he goes, listen guys, this, this is kind of this mysterious thing, and, and here's the mystery. Let me kind of unpack this mystery for you. He goes, the primary purpose of marriage is to paint a picture of the relationship between God and his people, the church. That's the primary purpose of marriage. Now, here's what that means practically for us in 2020. What that means is that Contrary to everything that Hollywood tells us, contrary to everything that our culture, our culture sells us, the primary purpose of marriage is not to make you happy. Now, now there should be a, a level of, of happiness that comes into your life because of marriage. Certainly, I'm a, I'm a happier man because I'm married to Cheryl than I would be if I were single right now. But the primary purpose of marriage is not to make you happy. And the primary purpose of marriage is not for your spouse to complete you. Now, we see this kind of language in in movies and and kind of these romanticized ideas that come out of Hollywood, and you'll you'll see people stare into each other's eyes, oh, baby, you complete me. And I just want to let you know that is a lie. Nobody else on this planet can complete you. I love my wife. I adore my wife. She will never, ever complete me. She was not intended to do that. Only God can do that sort of thing in my heart. And the reality is I can never complete her. Only God can do that. So the primary purpose of marriage is not to make you happy. The primary purpose of your spouse in marriage is not to complete you. The primary purpose of your marriage, if you're a follower of Jesus, is to display the glory of Jesus to the world that desperately needs to see a picture of God's grace lived out. And God goes, man, I'm gonna paint that picture for the world by designing a relationship called marriage, a relationship that's so beautiful and so compelling that people are actually going to be able to see me in it and through it. Now, church, that, 
understanding that, wrapping your mind around that reality, the primary purpose of marriage, should absolutely revolutionize. This should change everything about how we view marriage and interact in the context of marriage. Because listen, if we understand this, it's no longer, my marriage is no longer about me fighting for my rights in my marriage. It's, it's no longer about me fighting for, for my own personal fulfillment in marriage. It's about, it's about loving and, and serving my bride as her husband. It's about following and respecting your husband's leadership as, as wives. And so as we, as we dance this kind of dance, God says, they'll see me. If you guys will follow this, this pattern of marriage that's supposed to actually reflect the gospel, the word will actually see me through your marriages. How amazing is that? church family. And how, how weighty is that, that, that our marriages are intended to be a picture of the gospel of Jesus on the one side, the husband's kind of displaying that in the church, God's people on the other side, and the wife's displaying that part of the equation. And when we get that, that absolutely should just revolutionize the way we view marriage and we interact within our marriages. All right, let's, let's dig into our actual text this morning. We're going to be back in 1 Peter chapter 3. We're really going to park in verse 7, but I want to read the first six verses just to give us a context. Again, we covered all this ground last week. That's on the web for you if you want it. First Peter 3, beginning in verse 1, Peter's shifting into the context of marriage and what submission in marriage looks like. He says this, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, in other words, if they're not Christians, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Okay, so now, verse seven, he shifts, and he begins to look at the men in the room. He begins to look at the husbands, and he says this, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, Peter just lays out one single verse for the guys. Now, if you're a lady, you're here last week, you're like, man, that, that's not fair. We got six verses, and the, and the dudes get one verse. But the reality is, Peter packs a whole lot into one verse. Now, I want you to start by noticing that he starts this instruction to the husbands with the word likewise, right? So, so meaning, hey guys, just, just like your wives are to honor and respect and submit to your leadership, ultimately as a way to submit to Jesus, you too, husbands, are called to submit to Jesus by how you love your wives, right? So there's this concept and idea of submission for both the husband and the wife in the concept of marriage. Now, he's not saying clearly that husbands are to submit to the leadership of their wives. He's just saying there's an element of submission for all of us in the context of marriage. 
Looks different for men, looks different for women, again, in the context of marriage. But none of us escape this idea of godly submission. So let's dig in. Let's look back at verse 7. The very first thing that Peter commands husbands to do in verse 7, he says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now that word understanding in the original language literally means uh, to know. It means knowledge. It's this idea of, of seeking to know. Of, of pursuing information, of investigation. And so command number one that Peter gives to husbands in the context of marriage is this. Husbands, these are, these are ways that you can display Jesus in your marriage. Number one, he says, husbands, study your bride so that you can pursue her heart. Study your bride so that you can pursue her heart. That's what it, that's what it means to live with your wife in an understanding way. So men, I, I take this to mean, just kind of practically, that, that you should know just about everything there is to know about your wife. You should know her favorite color. You should know what her favorite food is. You should know what kind of music relaxes her. You should know how she takes her coffee in the morning. You should know all of her past wounds and current insecurities. You should know all of her strengths and her weaknesses. You, listen, you should know her spiritual gifts. You should be working to, to carve out space in your life for your wife to exercise those spiritual gifts in the context of the home, the church, the community. You should be observing your wife and taking note of what brings her down and what makes her happy and makes her spirit soar. You should know what makes her sad and what brings her joy. And when you come home from work, man, you should be asking her questions. Then listen, after you ask her a question, you should take the time to actually listen to her, right? Ask her how that meeting at work went that she was uh, worried about yesterday. Ask her how soccer practice with the kids went. Ask her what the best part of her day was. Ask her what the most frustrating part of her day was. And then actually listen and take Mental notes, begin to, to learn your wife. I think that's what Peter's saying. Begin to learn your wife. Take notes, be observant. Husbands, know your bride. Study her so that you can begin to rightly pursue her heart and serve her well. Now, one of the things that I just see as one of the greatest tragedies, and I, man, I, as a pastor, I see this on, on repeat just constantly in marriage. And, I, and you see it so often, but you see so many men who will pursue their wives until they get married. So they, they pursue their wives, and they're doing all these things, and they're, they know what their favorite color is, and they know what time she wakes up in the morning, and they know everything about her, and they pursue her, and they love her, and all these things, study her until the day that they get married. And it's like they just kind of, they just kind of quit and I feel like Peter is saying here, know you, moron. You don't, you don't quit the day that you get married. That's the beginning of a lifelong process of learning who God has created your bride to be so that you can pursue her heart the way that Jesus pursued you. Now let's get, let's get really practical. Husbands, when your wife starts talking to you, and listen, I, Guys, I say this to you with as much love in my heart as I can muster. When your wife begins to talk to you, put down your phone. Put down your phone. 
Turn the, turn the stupid TV off. Make eye contact with your wife. Listen to her. If you're out on a date, leave the stupid phone in the car for an hour. Listen, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sort of on an ivory tower preaching down to you. I'm, I'm preaching to myself here. But here's what I know. Your marriage is too important to just coast, men. There is too much at stake. If you believe what, what Paul is saying in Ephesians 5, if you believe what Peter's saying in 1 Peter 3, there is far too much at stake for you to coast in your marriage because your marriage ultimately is not about you. Your marriage is ultimately about Jesus. And the picture that God paints with marriage, your love for your wife is supposed to display the love that Jesus has for his bride. For his people. Now that's a pretty high bar, don't you think? That's a pretty high standard. So let me just ask you, husbands, those of you who are married and you're tuned into this, your wife, how well do you know your wives? How well do you know your bride? Peter says, husbands, you better, you better know her. You better have knowledge. That's literally what that word means, to live in an understanding way. You better have knowledge of who she is. Better study her, her tendencies, her patterns, her personality type, things that make her happy, things that make her sad. Study her so that you can pursue your bride and you can love her well. And then Peter gives a second command to the husbands. Let's go back to verse seven. He says, likewise, husbands, live with your wife in an understanding way. So that's command number one, to, to know your wife, to study her, to pursue her. And then number two, he says, showing honor. Showing honor honor to the woman as a weaker vessel since they are heirs with you in the grace of life. Now I know some of you ladies, you just heard that, that term weaker vessel. You're thinking, Chris, I will cut you, bro. I will, I will shank you in the parking lot with a rusty screwdriver. If, that, if that's you, if that kind of bothers you to hear that word, weaker vessel, that terminology, hold on just for a minute. We're going to get back to that. We're going to unpack that. But first, I want to say to the men, here's the second way Peter is saying that you are to display Jesus in your marriage. Number two, is you honor your bride. You honor your bride. So the first thing he said is, man, study her, pursue her, and then number two, you honor her. Now that literally means in the Greek to value her, to count her as precious. Now, let's get, let's get practical again, guys. What this means for you um, is, is when your wife pulls up into the driveway with a car full of groceries, you put your phone down, you pause the game on TV or the Band of Brothers or whatever you're watching, and you go and you, uh, you help her unload the car. That means if, you're, if your wife spends time cooking a meal for you, when the meal's done, get your butt up and go help her clean the table and load the dishwasher instead of just going over and plopping down on the couch. Honoring your wife means, man, when you get home and your wife has had a tough day, you handle the kids. You take care of the kids. You handle the PJs and the brushing of teeth and the bath time and the, the prayers at night and you put them down so she can have an hour just to catch her breath and relax. Man, this means, I think, just practically thinking of practical ways this can kind of flush out for, for you and me. Plan and execute dates with your wife consistently. Plan and execute dates with your wife consistently. Don't get in the car after six months of, of her begging to go on a date and go, hey, where do you want to go? You want to go to Bojangles or Pizza Hut? Where do you want to go? Don't do that. 
Man, you take the time, you take the lead, you honor her. You plan out an evening that you know is gonna be special for her. Don't make her do any of the work. Bring home flowers for no reason. Come home early and watch the kids take over so she can go have coffee at a coffee shop with her friends or read a book. There's a million different ways this can look, but husbands, you find, what Peter's saying, you find real ways to honor your bride. And not only do I take this to mean we as husbands are to honor our wives with our actions, I also think this means that we are to honor our wives with our words. Man, how do you speak about your wife to your friends? Are your words honoring her? How do you honor her with your words in front of your kids? Guys, I'm, I'm just telling you if, you, if you are at home constantly demeaning and criticizing your wife at home, especially in front of your kids, I'm just telling you, you have missed the boat and you need to repent. You honor her. You honor your, your bride with your words, with your actions. Peter's saying you cherish her. You count her as precious. You value, you value her. That is your calling, men. That is your calling husbands. That is the standard that Jesus has set for us in how we are to interact and care for our wives. Now, let's get back to that pesky little phrase that maybe set some of you off where Peter says, husbands are to honor their wives as the weaker vessel. Again, so I know some of y'all, y'all ladies heard that and you know, oh no, he didn't. But let's, let's just kind of unpack that for a minute. Let's talk about what Peter's not saying there and then we'll talk about what he is saying there. Now, Peter clearly does not mean when he addresses uh, wives as the weaker vessel, he's not saying that women are weaker spiritually because he actually finishes that very same sentence by saying that women are co-heirs in the grace of life. So he just said women are, are co-heirs with men. They are, they are equal in the kingdom of Jesus. So it can't mean that Peter is saying that women are weaker spiritually. In fact, I would say in my experience more times than not, I find that women are stronger spiritually than men oftentimes. I found that women tend to have more faith. They tend to serve more. They tend to go on trip, mission trips more freely. They tend to more consistently kind of speak the gospel into the lives and hearts of their kids at home more often than their husbands do. Clearly, Peter is not talking about a, a sense of spiritual weakness here. As we talked about last week, this also can't mean that women are weaker intellectually or that they're less bright or less smart because the reality is uh, most of our wives are smarter than we are, right? Now, I know that because I know my wife is brighter than I am and I've talked to most of you guys and I've talked to your wives and they clearly are way brighter than you are. And so this doesn't mean that, that in any way that they're weaker in terms of intelligence. It also can't mean, or I don't think it means that women are weaker emotionally. In fact, I would argue that most women are more in tune with their emotions. Most women are more emotionally intelligent than men are, right? All, you know, the, the proof of this is just, just ask a guy, ask a dude how he feels about anything and watch the expression on his face, right? He's gonna look at you like a deer in the headlights and just maybe grunt or something. He, he's just going to be grasping for, he do, a man just doesn't, doesn't know how to, but you ask, a, you ask a woman the same question, how did you just feel about that? 
How did you just feel about what I said? She's going to give you 13 paragraphs of well thought out and beautifully articulated thoughts about her feelings and why she feels that way. So weaker vessel clearly means none of these things has nothing to do with value. I think all Peter is saying right here is that as a general rule, women are the weaker vessel physically. Physically. Now, I know, I know there are exceptions. Maybe you're watching this right now and you're six foot four and you crossfit and you can whip your boyfriend, you can whip your husband. But as a general rule, scientifically speaking, physiologically, men just tend to be bigger, stronger, more powerful physically than women, right? That's why in the, the, in the Olympics, for instance, you don't have the, the men's and women's events together. You have those separately. It would be fair for the women to have to compete against the men. And so in light of men's physical strength, Peter is saying, men, you are to use that physical strength to honor your wife, to serve your wife, to value your bride, to pursue her. Don't you dare ever use your physical strength to dominate your wife or to intimidate her or to hurt her in any way to get what you want. Man, we have to remember, ultimately, in this, in this relationship called marriage, we are painting the picture. We are displaying Jesus in this relationship between Jesus and his bride to the world around us. And we look at Jesus. Jesus had all the power in the world, all the power in the world, and he laid it all down to come and rescue us. He never once used his power to coerce us, never once used his power to, to force us or to intimidate us or to manipulate us to, to love him. Instead, Jesus used his power and he laid down his life for his bride and men are called to do the very same thing in marriage. And so guys, what I take this to mean is you kill the spider at home, right? I always know uh, when, when, when Cheryl screams upstairs and I'm downstairs, I know it's spider killing time, right? I go upstairs and I handle it. This means, men, when the, when the snake slithers into the garage, you handle the snake. Man, this means that when there's a loud crashing noise in your house at 3 a.m., you don't get to roll over to your wife and say, hey, baby, I got it, I got it last time. I think it's your turn this time. No, man, it's your turn every time at 3 o'clock in the morning, middle of the night. Man, what this means is that when that, that scary dog kind of rounds the corner, you don't, you don't kind of cower and hide behind your wife. You shield your wife with your body. Single ladies, if you want to know if your boyfriend is husband material, first of all, he better love Jesus more than he loves anything else, right? That's an absolute deal breaker if he doesn't. But beyond that, if you want to know if, if your boyfriend is husband material, what you need to do you need to find a friend who will hide in a bush somewhere and jump out and scare your boyfriend and watch what he does, right? If he kind of, if he kind of cowers behind you, just go ahead and get rid of him, right? Just break up. If he presses himself into the danger, if he kind of steps in front of you, now we can consider that guy. The bottom line is this, man, we use our strength never to dominate, never to intimidate, never to hurt our wives. We always, always, 100% of the time are to use our physical strength to honor our wives, to care for them, to protect them, to serve them. Now, this is a conversation I just have constantly on repeat with my son Judah, who just turned eight years old. He's got two older sisters, and believe it or not, his older sisters like to kind of irritate him sometimes. And, uh, you know, I try to warn them, like, man, y'all are bigger than him now, but it, when he's about 12 or 13, he's going to hit a growth spurt, and he's going to be way bigger and stronger than you guys probably are, so, and he's going to remember all these times. But 
Uh, there were times, especially when Judah was, was younger, his sisters would be doing something to irritate him, and he would retaliate physically. So he would, he would hit, or he would kick, or he would bite, or something like that. And every time I would sit there and I'd have this conversation with, with Judah before his time of, of discipline, and I would get down on his level, and I would just talk to him. and say, Judah, listen, buddy, we don't, we, don't, we don't hurt our girls, man. There's nothing that could ever justify you hurting a girl. And we, we are called to, to honor them and to cherish them and to value them and to protect them. Buddy, do you understand that? This is, God, this is what God has made us as man to do. We don't hurt our girls. Do you understand that, buddy? Yes, daddy. And so we have this conversation on repeat because at the earliest of ages, I want my son to understand that God has given us strength as men not to abuse the women that he places into our lives, but to honor them and to care for them, and to lift them up. Man, we are to honor our wives by, will, by being willing to lay down our lives at a moment's notice for them. And we honor them with our words. We honor them with our actions. We honor them with our bodies, with our very lives, because we are commanded by our King Jesus to love his daughters well. I came across this magnificent quote from Matthew Henry, just kind of a famous Bible commentary writer, and uh, I just wanted to share this with you. This will be on the screen for you. This is what Matthew Henry says about this passage in the context of marriage. He says, Eve was not taken from Adam's head to be above him. She was not taken from his feet to be trampled upon by him. She was taken from his side to be close to him, from under his arm to be protected by him, from near his heart to be loved by him. And I think that sums up this passage really, really well. And Peter closes this section of his letter, you may have noticed it earlier when we read it, with a staggering warning. Peter says, husbands, you honor. Husbands, you, you love, you serve, you pursue your wives, you sacrifice your very lives for them. Why? Why, Peter? Like, I get home after a long day. I'm, I'm tired, bro. I don't, want to, I don't want to do all this stuff that you're telling me to do. Why, why should I do it? Go back to verse seven, the very end of verse seven. Again, this is a sobering warning to us as husbands, as men. He says, honor your wives in this way so that, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Did you catch that, men? What Peter's saying is that if you do not use your strength and your leadership in marriage to honor and serve your wife, God will not listen to your prayers. That's pretty intense, isn't it? If you are not loving your wife well, you should expect no good spiritual thing in your life. Now, man, that doesn't mean that God has somehow abandoned you or that you're gonna lose your salvation or that he doesn't love you anymore or anything like that. It simply means, man, that God loves you enough to discipline you when you're about to train wreck your life or your marriage. So, man, I, just, I want you to listen to me. I wanna I want say this as clearly as I know how. If you, if you are not loving and honoring and serving your wife and you think that your relationship with God is just cool, you are delusional. If you are not doing what Peter is commanding here and you think that you're good with God, you're delusional. Now, let me, let me just illustrate it this way. I have, I have two daughters. Uh, many of you know them, Haley and Karis. 
And they are, they are my, my heart, man. I, I love those two little girls with everything inside of me. And uh, the reality is there, there may come some point many, many years from now, a, a sad and terrible day where they fall in love and get married. Now, suppose that that happens and after one of them or both of them is married, I get word, word gets back to me that their husband is mistreating them. He's not honoring my little girl. He's not taking care of her. He's abusing his strength. He's not sacrificing himself for her the way that Jesus has called a man to in marriage. And suppose that same, same guy comes over to my house one day and he just wants to, he just wants to hang out. He just wants to kind of chat it up, maybe ask me for advice, maybe ask me for a few favors, maybe just kind of get close to me relationally. How do you think that's gonna go for him? I can promise you that is not gonna go well for him. You know why? Those are my daughters. Those are my daughters. I've shed my own blood, sweat, and tears to ensure that they thrive in life, and now I've entrusted them to you, and you have the nerve not to treat my daughters like the princess that she is. In that moment, not only am I not listening to you, I'm going to become the stuff that your nightmares are made of. Why, because I hate you? No, not because I hate you. I probably love you, you're my son-in-law. But things are not gonna go well with you relationally with me because I love my little girls. And as long as you're mistreating my little girls, I've got nothing to say to you. And you need to understand, as a man, as a husband, God loves his daughters far more than I love my little girls. So let me just say, husbands, if it feels like your spiritual life is just kind of stuck in the mud right now, Husbands, if it feels like your, your prayers are just kind of bouncing off the ceiling every time you pray, if you just kind of feel distant from God, I would just say, man, how you're treating your wife is a good place to start the self-examination process. Because I am, I am convinced there are many men, many men who would claim they love the Lord, many men in the church who are under the hand of God's discipline right now because of the way they treat their wives. And I'm talking about spiritual consequences. I'm talking about even physical consequences. God does not take this lightly, husbands. He takes the care of his daughters very, very seriously. You want God to hear your prayers. You love his daughters well. Now, quickly, before we wrap this up, here, here's what I know to be true after about 16 and a half years of marriage. Many of you are on what a lot of marriage counselors would call the crazy cycle in your marriage right now. And I know it all too well. You're just kind of on this death spiral in your marriage and you might at this point in your life even be wondering if things are hopeless. Because here, here's, here's what tends to happen on the crazy cycle. The, the husband doesn't love his wife well and so the wife responds and she doesn't honor and respect her husband well and so then he responds in an unloving way and then she responds in a more disrespectful way and it just turns into this absolutely vicious cycle of chaos and hurt and unless somebody is willing to break that cycle, your marriage will crash and burn. And what I'm saying, because I'm addressing the man this morning, what I'm saying is, men, you break the cycle. You break the cycle. You go first. You apologize first. You begin to love and honor and serve your wife, even if she doesn't deserve it. 
Even if she doesn't respect you or honor you or appreciate you, you love her like this anyway because ultimately you are loving, submitting, and honoring Jesus by the way you love and honor your wife. And here's, I'm just telling you, here's what will begin to happen, maybe slowly at first, but man, as you begin to love your wife in this way, you honor her and you serve her, she will begin to respect you and honor you and to follow and submit to your leadership in the marriage. I have yet, in all my years of being in ministry, I have yet to meet a woman who would just say, man, I can't, I can't follow a man like that. I just, I can't, I can't follow and respect. I, like, I, don't want a, I don't want a man that studies me and pursues me and sacrifices everything to serve me and loves me well. I just, man, like I can't follow a dude like that. I've never, not one time met a woman who would say that. So man, you begin to love your wife in this way, and I'm just telling you, it absolutely changes everything in your marriage. It absolutely can change the entire trajectory of your marriage and your relationship and your family. So here's, here's the big idea of the whole message. Really, the last two weeks, the big idea is this. I'll put this on the screen for you. The point of marriage is to, dis- to, to, to display the gospel. The primary point, the primary purpose of marriage is to display the gospel. Remember, marriage is that one relationship that God gives us and says to the world, do you want to know how much I love you? Do you want to know how you can respond to my love? Look at marriage. That's where you're going to find the answer. And so church, hear me say this. For us to to distort the picture of marriage is to distort the very gospel of Jesus. You see why this is so important, church family? This is not some political thing. This is not some cultural thing. This is actually central to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is close to the heart of God. Church, let's love well. Let's serve well. Let's honor each other. Let's submit well for the sake of our great God and for the good of the world that's watching us. Let's pray, and then we'll sing. Father, Thank you, for, thank you for not leaving us in the dark on difficult topics like, like marriage and roles within marriage for husbands and wives. Thank you that you haven't just kind of left us to flap in the wind to figure it out. You've actually given us structure. You've given us your design so that we could thrive in our marriages, God. Thank you for modeling this concept of serving and submission for us perfectly in the life, death, resurrection of your son, Jesus, God. Would you help us, Father, as as men to, to lead well? Would you help us to love and serve, honor and cherish our wives so that they could flourish as you've intended them to do as your daughters, God? And would you help wives to respond to their husbands with honor and strength and submission and respect. Father, help us to paint a picture in our marriage of Jesus and his bride. Jesus who leads by laying down his life for his bride and his church submitting to his leadership, God. Would you help our marriages look like that for your glory, for the good of those who are watching our lives. We ask it all in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen.